my dear, you never were good at asking for permission to land. I never asked for permission to do anything, my darling. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> I remember. Not mine, I take it. No. Part of my crew. He's Django's son. Yes, yes. Sorry about your father. He was a friend and an honorable man. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Uto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the clone army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to send in the clones! In this episode, Admiral Killian and Commander Pons remain in the clutches of the devious bounty hunter Laura Singh. So it's left up to wise Jedi Master Plo Koon and brave Padawan Ahsoka Tano to track down and free the hostages and save the day. Hey, troops, it's your old buddy Bucho on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars. And next to me in the dropship on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars, he's the Anakin to my Rex. It's your trusty pal, Robbie. Hello there. And we are going to talk about the 44th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's Season 2, Episode 22, Lethal Trackdown. So, Robbie, how about we roll out with you letting us know what you remembered about this episode before you rewatched it again this week? This one was one that didn't immediately strike a chord in me. You know, it's like I didn't exactly remember what was going to happen. But once things started to play, I was like, oh, yeah, I really like this episode. And I think, I think, I mean, at least for me, it's a return of Hondo. I mean, come on. Right. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this episode a lot. It's not just the return of Hondo. It's also the return of Ahsoka, who we saw just right at the end of the last episode. But, and I think we talked about this last time, it feels like a dozen episodes since we last had an Ahsoka story. It's been a while. Yeah, and here she doesn't go out on a mission with Anakin. She goes out with Plo Koon. And I, I don't know about you, but it just felt a little bit odd at the start of the episode that Ahsoka and Anakin don't even speak to each other. And there's not even a response shot of Anakin when Plo Koon says that he'll take Ahsoka with him when he heads out to find the bounty hunters. It was just one of those little filmmaking things where I was like, wait a minute, have these two been fighting and they're not on good terms or something? You know what I'm saying? I don't think that's the actual answer, but I just thought there would be a reaction shot of Anakin when Plo Koon says, yep, I'm going out after the bounty hunters. Ahsoka will come with me. No, I didn't catch that at all. I just, uh, I guess I was just so excited that we were going to get to see uh, Plo Koon and Ahsoka together, you know? I just, I was excited. Yeah, I don't think there was any meaning to it. I just think it was maybe a little, I don't know, filmmaking episode. Or maybe it's just something that I wanted and that no one else actually cares about. But I would have just liked like a two-second shot of Anakin acknowledging that his Padawan was going out into the field again with another Jedi. And Anakin wasn't going to be along to look after her, you know? He's got those attachment issues, remember, I think. Maybe that's what I'm getting at. But someone who maybe doesn't have attachment issues... That's Hondo Anaka, and as you say, Robbie, we see him again in this episode, and we learn that he's really a man of his word when he pushes down the barrel of his henchman's rifle, and we're skipping quite far ahead in the episode here, but we're talking about Hondo, and this is the main thing that I got from Hondo in this episode. He's really a man of his word when he pushes down the barrel of his henchman's rifle as the henchman aims it at Ahsoka as she's chasing Aura Singh, and then he even goes on to tell Boba to do the honorable thing and tell Plo Koon what he wants to know so once again my eyes are open further to why i've heard so many folks over the years say they're hondo fans including you of course 
I mean, how could anyone not be happy whenever Honda was in the mix? Yeah, I mean, that. in fact, both of those moments are moments that I took notes on because, again, I just... Hondo is such an interesting character because he's obviously not on the the side of, you know, the ultimate good, right? He's not a Jedi. He's not, you know, he's not one of the good guys, but he has honor. And that's one of the things that I love about his character. I mean, the fact that he immediately gives Arab Singh and and Boba Fett up immediately. Right. He's like, hey, how's it going? By the way, there's there's bad guys in here. Just to let you know. I mean, it's just like, What? You know, you don't expect that. You expect him to play along at least a little bit. Yep. You know, he said he wasn't going to intervene, but he was going to hinder anything. No, he literally gives them up immediately. And maybe that's, you know, maybe self-preservation. You know, he just doesn't want to be involved in this. He didn't ask to be involved. I mean, maybe that's it. But you still have to kind of respect that kind of honor being shown by somebody who's uh, he's not exactly the good guy. Yeah, I think the key to understanding why he kind of gives up or is singing this is, is when he tells her earlier on, you know, you messed up getting mixed up with the Jedi. You know, I've got mixed up with the Jedi before and it didn't go well for me. So he's now come to the conclusion that if the Jedi are involved, he's not involved. And he's his usual charming pirate lord self in the story. And he also helps to tell us more about how formidable Aura Singh must be, as she shows absolutely no fear or submissiveness toward Hondo. And she even seems to intimate that Hondo, the pirate lord himself, once served under her. Yeah, it's a strange relationship. And I really enjoyed that. That It's kind of like another dimension of his character. And I love, I love his little, uh, you know, not mine. I take it when he's talking about Boba because he hadn't met Boba, right. Boba yet. I just, <laughs> it, it sort of plays to that notion that there's a lot to Hondo we don't know. I mean, is he a playboy? You know, in the in the uh, criminal underworld. I mean, he definitely has the charm for it. But I don't know. I just I love those little character moments. You know, that tell you more about everybody involved. I mean, it's just it's really really cool. Uh, and it. A great attention to detail character-wise. It sure is, Robbie. And speaking of Aura Singh, I have really become a fan of this bounty hunter. And I really like how they've established her as really a ruthless killer over the last three episodes. She's right up there with Cad Bane now for me, neck and neck for me in terms of my favorite bounty hunter in the series. Wow, that's a bold statement because, uh, I mean, Cad Bane is uh, he's something else. So, yeah, for you to say that, that's uh, that's pretty good. And, and again, Jamie King, you know, she does a great job with her and making her almost like she savors all of this. You know, it's like, yeah. this is like a delicious thing that she just, I mean, she just loves it. You know what I mean? It's it's very, very interesting character. Yeah, she has an extra element that Cad Bane doesn't have where she has taken Boba Fett under her wing and she's trying to teach Boba Fett the ropes. And she's really, I mean, the reason that she gets caught up in this whole thing in the first place is because she's trying to support Boba Fett and his goal to take on Mace Window. I mean, the whole reason she's got mixed up with these Jedis is because she's trying to support Boba Fett. And I gotta admit that also when I think of Cad Bane, it's been a while since we saw him, but I always think back to that scene in Holocron Heist when he's in the fan, when he's getting <laughs> held up by the fan and he's just completely flailing around. And it, that, in that moment, for some reason, that moment made enough of an impression on me that while I think he's he's super cool and he's obviously ruthless and scary, like having seen him be completely out of control and desperate and flailing, I haven't seen Aura Singh be so desperate and vulnerable. So to me, she's even a little bit more scary than, than Cad Bane at the moment. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that about the way that she takes Boba under a wing. It's almost a motherly thing. It's almost, you know what I mean? It's, it's like she yeah. she says things like, you know, I can't remember exactly how she says it, but it's the whole reason that we're doing this 
is for Boba to get his justice. And, yeah. and it's it's almost like you sort of wonder what her ultimate goal is here. I mean, is it, it does she see something in Boba to be someone that's a powerful member of her team or something? Or is she right. is it more of a you know, I believe that this kid deserves justice and I'm going to help him get there. You know, or is it something even crazier and even more out there? You know, that maybe she sees Boba as a uh, sort of a, a future contender. Yeah, I mean, when you think of a character as formidable and as ruthless as Aura Singh is, you got to think there's something in it for her. She thinks there's something in it for her to take care of this kid. And, you know, if she brings him up right, he would be a powerful ally to have in the future. And speaking of justice and Boba Fett how did you like this moment when they're having this little sit down Plo Koon and Boba Fett and Aura Singh and Ahsoka and Boba Fett says I'm not a murderer but I want justice and Plo Koon says we are justice that was a cool line Robbie yeah. I mean Plo Koon has that cool voice and he just delivered that line just out of nowhere it's almost like a tribute to Judge Dredd maybe or something but it was just a sweet little moment that I noted down Oh, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. And what I love is there's a lot of attention to Boba's face in yeah. the, you know, the animation of his face in this scene because you can see his hesitancy, but it, there's a determination. But you almost get the feeling that in a different situation, in a different, I don't know, a different universe, that he could be a good kid. Sure. Someone who could be, you know, on the side of good, but he's almost pushed by the people that he hangs out with and by the situations that he's just almost forced to be this bad kid who turns out into one of the most fearsome bounty hunters in the galaxy right but you see that beginning and that's what i think is so interesting about it is that you know of course we've got the prequels that show how anakin this cute little kid who who just wants to do good for other people right turn into Darth Vader, this is kind of interesting to see this three-episode arc of what happens to Boba Fett, what makes him ultimately make the decision to be one of, like I said, one of the most fearsome bounty hunters in the galaxy. It's interesting. Yeah, he's obviously carrying a whole lot of pain from when he watched his, I mean, as you would when you watched your father be cut down like he did, and you mentioned earlier that Aura Singh is kind of a mother figure to him. I mean, it's not that he lost his own mother. He never had a mother. He doesn't have a mother because he's a clone. So in a lot of ways, he's in a situation that is almost impossible to relate to because there's almost nobody in our world who has ever lived through that situation. I mean, as far as I know, there aren't any clones around, Robbie, unless you've heard any stories that I haven't heard. Unless there's a Joe Rogan episode I haven't seen yet. Yeah, yeah. But he also has this conscience, obviously, as we saw a little bit in the Death Trap episode. And as we see again here, when young Boba heads back to talk to Killian in the clone offices, and then we see it again when Boba refuses to shoot Commander Ponce, the lad still has something of a conscience. And during that standoff that I mentioned a little bit earlier, Boba sees that aura is about to wax Plo Koon with her boot darts, and then he yells her name as he starts to shoot at Ahsoka. So either he doesn't want Plo Koon's death on his conscience too, because he's effectively saving Plo Koon's life in that moment. Or is it that Boba Fett assumed that Ahsoka would take Aura's head off if Aura killed Plo Koon? Or was it something else? Because I wasn't exactly sure how to read what Boba did in this scene to basically foil Aura Singh. Well, I think that's the, the beauty of the way that they did that. You know, it's a decision that he made, but you don't know exactly what he was thinking. I mean, from my point of view, I think... It's more like what you said originally, that 
he knew that there was some really, really bad stuff going to happen if he didn't do something right then. And he forced the, the situation, which in turn saved Plo Koon and possibly R. Singh at the same time. I mean, it's it's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, who is this kid, you know, at this moment? You know, how how far gone is he really? You know, and I think uh, right. I think that's what we see at the end of the episode is that he's made that turn. This is the path that he's on, you know, that he's he's going to be the bad kid that the Boba Fett we know and love from uh, from Return of the Jedi and Empire. I mean, this is this is the, the path that he was on. And, and I think that's that's what we see right here. Yeah. And I really love the resolution of that standoff between Aura and Plo Koon and Boba Fett and Ahsoka. That was a ton of fun as an action scene. But even that faded into the background. Once I got to Ahsoka scampering around on Slave One, slicing pieces off the ship, stabbing her blade through the windscreen, and then having to deflect Aura's blaster bolts coming back at her, which brings us to the Obi oh, Careful segment of the episode, Robbie. And I have to imagine your <laughs> Obi oh, Careful meter was kicking up against the red line when Ahsoka was hanging off the wing of Slave One, which was out of control. And what little control it has? The murderous Aura Singh is doing all she can to take Ahsoka out. How was your Obi careful meter going in that section, Robbie? A little bit, yeah. I mean, it was going off a little bit. But for some reason, I, I think when there's Jedi involved, it's a little uh, taken down a, a, a notch or two. And I mean, with this, I mean, I think, again, this at this point in the series, they're really ramping up the way that they show action and the... the the idea is that, man, they, there's just really is no limit to what they can do. I never thought we would see, you know, one of Slave One's wings being right. you know, cut off by a lightsaber. Right. I mean, it's so cool. And it just makes the, the action so much more dynamic. And it, and it makes you think, okay, they can really go anywhere with this. And they can really do some, I mean, just amazingly inventive ways to show this action. I mean, it was just a great time. It's so much fun. And speaking of action scenes, Robbie, of course, we get that showdown between Plo Koon and Ahsoka. And earlier, when Plo Koon tells Ahsoka that they're headed for the Coruscant underworld, I wanted to kiss the writers of this episode, Robbie. Drew Z, Greenberg, Dave Filoni, and Brian Larson, or at least high-five them. Because you know, I love me some Coruscant Underworld. Oh yeah, it's just so, it's so visually interesting and different than what we typically get to see. I mean, it's so, the lighting is so different. And uh, I think one of the things that I love is, especially going in this little club, you know, which of course, they must be cautious, right? right? The way that that's shot, it's so different than what we've seen before. I mean, it's, I mean, it's like a, like a rave scene almost. It's just so... It's so crazy. Yeah, I also really dug there's a sweet kind of low-angled long shot just outside the bar, just outside the bar where they've bumped into Caster's buddy and I've had that little showdown that Ahsoka basically basically causes a lolly scramble and distracts everyone to get out of there. And she and Plo Koon have to back out of there with their lightsabers lit up. And in the shot that I'm thinking of, we see them in the doorway in the right of the screen frame while some Twi'lek bikers are looking on from the left of the frame. And there's the orange-yellow glow of the bar's windows behind them. And I just really... That's just a cool shot that I would... I mean, if I had a bar, I would have that screenshot somewhere in my bar. It's just a really beautiful composition. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that shot? Yeah, I do. And, in fact, my favorite shot of the whole episode is in that bar. And it's when Plo Koon lights his lightsaber... And everybody's just kind of looking at him, and he's he's in that stance, and it just makes you think, oh my god, right. man, we need more Plo Koon action yep. because he looks awesome yep. with the hood up and everything. I mean, it just looks ah, 
I just love that. And the way the way his voice, for some reason, his voice sounds just overall cooler in this episode than in any of the previous episodes. I don't know if it's James Arnold Taylor doing something different or if they pitched him lower, but it has a like a resonant sound that it's just so cool in this episode. Or maybe it's just because he's so... He's almost irritated in this episode more than he ever has been. I don't know what it is, but all I know is I liked it. Yeah, I remember you pointing out a while back that James Arnold Taylor does his voice and does Obi-Wan's voice too. And you talked about how if you listen to it a certain way, it just sounds like Obi-Wan with some kind of voice changer on. And I never picked it up the same way, but ever since you said that, I pay more attention to it and I don't hear it. I just don't hear it. It <laughs> do- just doesn't sound like Obi-Wan with a voice changer to me. I mean, we talk- we've talked before about, hey, you have really good ears, so... Maybe it's just that your ears are a lot better than mine. But also speaking of sound, I love the way that that moment is introduced because Plo Koon is not in the shot when the lightsaber lights up. And so we see that Ahsoka's in trouble and of course we hear and we know what that means instantly. And it's just such a cool moment whenever you hear a lightsaber light up and it's off the screen. It just sends the hairs on the back of your neck standing up. And speaking of sending the hairs on your neck, Standing up, Roby. My my segues are really on point in this episode, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> there's that moment where Aura Singh shoots down Custer, and there's a lovely low-angled Dutch angle in Hondo's shadowy lair. The camera shooting upward from just above the floor level as poor old Caster's body slides to the floor in the foreground with Aura Singh and her smoking gun in the background with Bubba and Hondo nearby. But my favorite shot of the episode is kind of a crane shot inside Hondo's office as he tells Aura that it was a bad idea to attract the attention of the Jedis. And the shot starts from above and behind Aura Singh and it drops while it also slides to the right and it's also panning. So it's kind of rotating all this time as it drops and moves to the right and it's keeping Aura and Baba and Hondo in the frame. And as it gets to the point where we're basically side on to both Aura and Hondo, we can also see beyond Baba and out that large window that Baba's looking at the exotic desert landscape outside. And the lighting is this warm golden hour haze and it's all yellows and oranges and browns. And we also get to see Hondo's decor in that shot. We get to see his knickknacks and what have you, which I assume are some of Hondo's favorite pieces of booty that he's looted over the years. But another real sweet detail in that shot. And actually the reason that it is my favorite of the episode is that we can see these dust motes floating in the light beam just above Hondo's desk. And then we also see dust motes in the room later when Plo Koon has his little sit down with Aura. And I assume they must have had dust motes in previous season two episodes at least. But so why am I only noticing them now, Robbie? Have you seen dust motes before in the show? I think I have, but I'm not exactly sure in, in which episodes, but it is very apparent in this one that there's a, a lot of attention to detail. And I mean, Dave Filoni even said that he wanted Hondo's office to be like that, to be almost cluttered because that's how he likes to work. And his office is the same way. It's very cluttered. It's got a lot of stuff in it. So there is a lot of attention to detail in these, especially in these last three episodes of season two. There's a care taken, or I wouldn't even say that. It's more of a special attention because I think this whole season has shown that they've definitely improved leaps and bounds with the, the look of the show, the lighting and everything. It's definitely taken that next level up yeah and speaking of paying special attention and even having good hearing did you notice that Bob's hearing is so good that when aura Singh touches her earpiece to receive that transmission from bosk into her earpiece about how a jedi ship is inbound Bobba is standing way over by the window but he somehow hears what bosk says even though he doesn't touch his ear to say that he's got a permanent earpiece as well did you, you know, notice I, that moment? no i didn't i didn't even know i didn't catch that yeah all of a sudden as they're speaking i mean 
Baba responds to the message that comes in from Bosk, even though Aura Singh is the one that hears it through her earpiece, you know, and we hear it too, but somehow Baba heard it too, and it seems like Hondo heard it too. So I thought that was just a fun little moment where, you know, the storytelling sort of works in spite of the fact that it maybe doesn't make 100% sense in in terms of the technology maybe i don't know it doesn't matter i'm not i don't want to give this show a hard time about it because like i said i love this office and i love that shot and one last little note i'll make about the sounds of this episode is just as we heard when we visited hondo's pirate lair and dooku captured we're treated to a tune which is very indian flavored like one might hear in a bollywood film and we get these little flashes of what we might call indian music Anytime Hondo's around, it seems, when he walks out to meet or sing, there's just a little flourish of it too. And that's, I guess, uh, as much of a theme as he has. I don't know. Do you notice that too? I did notice it, but it was it's a strange thing. Like, I don't always notice the music unless it stands out from being strange to Star Wars. Or if it's something that's super recognizable when I picked up that, like, the Bram Stoker's Dracula theme in, a, in, a, in an episode at one point. Right. But, What's interesting, though, that you bring that up is that Dave Filoni said that he wanted something special for that scene. And so he he was having he talked about it in his little breakdown, which was kind of interesting to see. But yeah, I mean, it's with Hondo. There's a there's a certain element of being exotic. You know, it's just a I think that's what it brings to it. And I, I just really enjoy the different flavors, I guess, they bring to all these different characters and their sort of their themes. Yeah, I really enjoy it too, Robbie. And here is where we come to the part of the episode where we talk about what we learned from Lethal Trackdown. And I think one good lesson to take from this episode is that when you are preparing to cross or sing, don't. <laughs> and if you absolutely positively can't help but cross her, maybe don't do it while you're in the same room with her, while you're in blaster range. <laughs> what was Caster thinking? Sloppy. He's sloppy. He's definitely sloppy. They're better off without him. So what lessons do you take away from Lethal Trackdown, Robbie? Well, this one's, uh, you know, I mean, it's a fun episode for sure, but it's definitely got a, uh, a quite a message. I mean, the fortune cookie at the, at the beginning of the episode is revenge is a confession of pain. I mean, gosh, I mean, I mean, how, how what else do we need to learn? I mean, it's especially when you got Jedi involved, you might not want to... Uh, yeah, you might not want to do things, but to be fair, <laughs> that make any sense. Yeah. You might, you might want to do uh, do the Hondo thing, right? Which is probably a bit harder when you're one a kid and two you watch the Jedi strike down your old man, behead your old man. I mean, doesn't Jango's head actually roll up to Boba? No, it doesn't, does it? No, it, I'm it, just trying to remember that scene. It's in the uh, arena, isn't it? Yeah, we never see the actual head. We just see the helmet land. But if you know, if you go frame by frame, you can see Django's head come out of the helmet, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of horrific. But luckily, it's a quick thing that you don't really see. But Bob is up in the stands, isn't he? When he watches that. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, uh, it's rough. I guess a more important lesson to learn is, you know, if you end up killing a, a bounty hunter in front of his unaltered clone, you might be creating another bounty hunter that will be even more fearsome than the previous one that you just dispatched. Maybe that's the lesson we can learn. Yeah, that's a good lesson too, Robbie. That one that we could all take something from. And now it's time to sum up Lethal Trackdown and find out where it sits on that four-star Robbie scale. For me, this just continues the, you know, and sums up this Boba Fett arc with some pretty interesting stuff. I mean, I just really liked it. So, I mean, for me, it's 
it's not the most, you know, integral to the Clone Wars as a whole, but I still think it's really, really good. And I'm going to put this one also at three and a quarter stars. For me, there's a ton to love about this episode. We get both Aurasing and Hondo. We get Ahsoka back after what seemed like a million parsecs. And not only that, she's getting some valuable Plo Koon time, which is always fun. And we get not one, but two showdowns and shady bars. And we get a super dynamic and deadly Obi Careful scene of Ahsoka running around on Slave One while Aura Singh had that ship way up in the air. I think that's one of those scenes that's going to stick with me. And when it all comes down to it, Lethal Trackdown sits at 8. Aura Singh smooches out of 10. And that's Mission Accomplished for Season 2, Episode 22, Lethal Trackdown. So, Robbie, won't you please let the troops out there know what are our communications channels? We are Robbie at Gmail, Twitter, and Instagram. That's B-U-C-H-O-A-N-D. R-O-B-B-Y. Yes, sir. And of course, the troops can join us again next time for the 45th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's season three, episode five. So there's a bit of a jump coming up, Robbie. And it's an episode called Corruption. And until then, this is your old buddy, Bucho, alongside your trusty pal, Robbie. And we are out. Remember, you can support Sending the Clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform and Bucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Bucho and Robbie at gmail.com. Of course, we'll be with you. Always.